Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Breathe Easy podcast. I'm your host for today, Asesha Mekineni. I'm very excited to introduce our speaker for today, Dr. Bharti Prasad. Dr. Prasad is professor of medicine at University of Illinois. Dr. Prasad is the medical director of UI Health Sleep Sciences Center in Chicago. She's also the program director for the Sleep Medicine Fellowship at University of Illinois College of Medicine. Dr. Prasad also practices at the Jesse Brown Veteran Affairs Medical Center. She has a commitment for education over the years and has shaped many trainees and I'm one of the privileged few to be one of her mentees. She's conducted multiple research projects over the years studying the cardiovascular outcomes in obstructive sleep apnea and health disparities in sleep medicine. In particular, Dr. Prasad has written about uh, socioeconomic and racial disparities. Today, the topic is going to be health disparities in obstructive sleep apnea with the focus on treatment and PAP adherence and some talk about COVID-19 and its influence in the sleep field. This is part two of the two-part podcast series that we have going. So thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Prasad. You're welcome. And thanks for the invitation, Ashisha. Glad to be here. Thank you. So to start off, um, so since the focus is on the treatment, do you think the efficacy is different across the different racial and gender groups and which modality works better for which group? Sure. So I think, you know, you brought up a good point that efficacy is dependent on um, independent of adherence. If you think about that, right, Um, one way to think about efficacy may be impacting outcomes, assuming that the adherence is the same across the groups that you're examining them in, right? Um, And so I think there is less data on differences in efficacy across racial groups um, or between the sexes, between men and women. Um, We did examine in a study of veterans, we did examine differences in blood pressure, um, actigraphy measures of sleep, self-reported sleepiness and quality of life as indicated by the functional outcomes of sleep questionnaire after three months of PAP treatment. And the main goal of this study was to compare black and white veterans and the outcomes that I mentioned um, after PAP treatment. Um, What we did find was that, you know, not surprisingly, adherence was pretty different between the groups. And that, and despite this is in the VA where access to care is equivalent and the clinical support programs were equally available to both groups. So despite that, you know, we did find more than an hour difference in adherence. Now, independent of that, when we attempted to look at efficacy on the uh, PAP treatment on these outcomes, what we did find was that the cardiovascular response or blood pressure response really dependent, depended more on SES. So the socioeconomic status had a significant interaction with PAP adherence, but not race. In other words, what we found was that lower socioeconomic status groups uh, determined a better um, blood pressure response per hour increase in PAP use. So, and this was kind of an interesting finding the, um, now, when it comes to self-reported sleepiness or some of the actigraphy measures that we looked at, their race did seem to play a role. And we found that uh, the Blacks had a more, a sig- more significant improve in wake after sleep onset, as well as a reduction in frequency of awakenings with every one hour increase in PAP use. 
Um, so I, you know, there's limited data, like I said, in terms of efficacy. I think the bigger player here is adherence, and we all know that disparities in PAP adherence are uh, remarkable and repeatedly shown in different racial groups. Now, in terms of gender, there are two larger studies from Spain that show that, you know, benefit of PAP treatment is significant in women. But again, direct comparisons between men and women as far as PAP treatment efficacy is limited. We know a little bit more, as you discussed with Dr. Redline, about sex differences in epidemiology or clinical presentation. And there is some conflicting evidence if PAP adherence differs between men and women. There is some suggestion that PAP adherence might be lower in women, but that is by no means consistent across the literature. Now, I think the important point I want to make here is the access to treatment in sleep apnea, because it is device-based um, more so, um, is limited by third-party payers or insurance. And since a lot of the you know, minority groups tend to be underinsured or uninsured, plans like Medicaid don't cover for all the clients. So access to this alternative treatment may be limited um, for example, you know, coverage of hypoglossal nerve stimulator may be delayed by these uh, plans or very limited. And so I think these groups do have less access to alternative treatments um, for um, sleep apnea. And, and that's an important factor to consider. Because PAP use and adherence is one of the things that we're looking at. Um, and uh, the average use hours and how the pattern of adherence differs across groups. Uh, you raised that socioeconomic status might be a player. Do you think that the quality of sleep as such uh, the under, is the underlying factor um, that could have contributed to this poor adherence in this group? Um, in the veterans, we know that, you know, insomnia and PTSD are big players. Right. And so this study that I mentioned was done amongst veterans where we found differences. And I, you know, we know that the same racial disparity for PAP adherence, in other words, blacks using PAP less than the white uh, population, um, persists in veterans um, and has been shown uh, by multiple groups before. Um, whether, you know, a lot of that is accounted for by the high levels of um, you know, PTSD and insomnia. We don't know that uh, overall, the you know, comorbidity with insomnia, PTSD is about 40%. Um, it, there's, you know, the mediating factors for this differential adherence between these groups, um, at least amongst veterans, is less clear. We talked about some of the hurdles that are, you know, uh, causing less adherence across some various groups. And apart from the social factors and the health literacy, do you think there's any other factors that we need to take into account when we are facing these challenges? Yes, I mean, you know, I think health literacy, self-efficacy, these are all one domain that affect PAP adherence. The other I would consider is social support. Right, because we know that whether it be you know partner support or other um, forms of social support, um, including peer support groups, right, as it been shown by um, Dr. Parthasarthi's group, uh, these can be um, very beneficial um, in promoting PAP adherence. And so these groups may again lack either actual social support or access to social support, such as peer support groups. So that's important. Then there are structural factors such as, you know, lack of transportation, 
you know, high levels of crowding or environmental noise in their sleep environment. These factors are less easy to modify for sleep practices and doctors. And I think we need to consider them more in terms of health policy and structural changes, as well as uh, support programs that come from at the policy level uh, to improve pathogens. That makes me think sleep apnea is so unique in that such extraneous factors and like the social scene kind of influences a lot uh, and plays a lot into the treatment and to the success of treatment. And uh, yeah. So um, from your experience, you mentioned some PTSD uh, numbers. And can you tell us more about the unique challenges in PAPUs among the veterans? Sure. So, you know, I think first you can um, highlight the benefit of uh, the VA health system where there's no penalty for low PAP use. Um, so it's not for logistical reasons or a time-bound um, you know, demand on the patient. Um, they do have time. There is also a, a good amount of, not universal though, but a good amount of uh, you know, psychological support uh, programs uh, available at the Veterans um, Affairs Hospitals in many medical centers. I think the challenge is that despite this, we see differences and relatively low adherence in veterans. And it, although it is overall possibly lower, um, but there is definitely a marked racial disparity. We've seen that at our center across the few studies that we have done. And I, uh, you know, a lot of this has to do with, again, the same sorts of structural uh, differences in the environment, built environment or psychosocial support but it also has a lot to do with the comorbid insomnia and PTSD. Um, in my clinical experience, you know, we measured PTSD and insomnia symptoms and found, again, consistent with the literature, about 40% prevalence. The um, abandonment of therapy or non-acceptance of PAP therapy in these patients with comorbid PTSD or insomnia is much higher my clinical experience. So I think, you know, developing programs for the veterans that right off the bat when sleep apnea is diagnosed, also actually actively looking for these comorbid conditions and getting appropriate dual therapy um, for uh, these uh, comorbid disorders is going to be important. In fact, there is research underway too and shows that there is benefit in doing that. So um, can you... uh... Tell us some of the measures from your experience uh, across the large, uh, larger sleep uh, care, uh, larger communities and hospitals and sleep clinics that we can implement to improve PAP adherence. Sure. Um, so, you know, as you know from your practice, um, I think the big uh, problem here is we know some of the strategies. It's the lack of funding to support these programs. Um, what we do know is that these programs have to be implemented early and they should be relatively long. Um, so, in, you know, there is a more recent paper that showed that if the support continues for 12 months, it has sustained improvement in adherence. So, you know, it's not a one touch point for the patient. It should be early, perhaps even at the time that the diagnosis is being considered and then continued support with these patients um, uh, that is ongoing. I think, you know, we've looked at in our um, quality improvement projects that you were involved with some of the ways to determine very early on whether this patient is at risk for um, 
abandonment of PAP therapy or non-adherence to PAP therapy. And these are the findings at our center were very similar to what's been shown in the literature also. And that is that um, you know, patients who have an early poor experience with the equipment tend to abandon it more and lack of education upfront um, at the time that they are being tested for sleep apnea also reduces the patient's buy-in to uh, these uh, treatments. And self-efficacy is probably the biggest determinant um, of um, the likelihood of continuing PAP therapy and accepting PAP therapy. You mentioned one of the studies that I was going to ask you about the interest in your research where you studied the blood pressure uh, among the different groups and uh, how we were thinking that even with equal PAP adherence and access to treatment, we were expecting uh, to see if there is any difference between the functional and cardiovascular outcomes, uh, like the blood pressure measurement. So what do you think the biological model is behind this expectation? Is it just because of the um, uh, biological factors that are different, like anatomy and Sure. So, you know, this, um, we, this, so in our early studies, um, what we found was two things. In a study, retrospective study with the veterans, we were looking at um, group differences, including racial differences um, between um, whites and blacks for uh, PAP efficacy and outcomes on blood pressure and diabetes uh, defined by hemoglobin A1C and outpatient blood pressure. And we actually found that the um, in, in the retrospective study, perhaps because of selection bias and you know the healthier user group continues to follow up, um, we found that the Blacks actually had a better reduction in blood pressure. So that was an intriguing finding, especially because we know that health outcomes with hypertension are poorer amongst Blacks, and the, um, the prevalence of both hypertension as well as possibly sleep apnea, at least in the high and very low age groups, young people, is maybe higher in the Blacks. So now we here we have a potentially interlinked, um, you know, two chronic complex diseases and potential differences in um, outcomes. So it was, you know, felt we hypothesize that indeed, if this is true, that PAP treatment, because of increased risk of either the underlying OSA as a driving factor or vulnerability to hypertension consequences, um, if that can be modified in Blacks, then it would provide insights with PAP treatment. It would provide insights into both the pathogenesis as well as provide evidence base for an intervention that is you know, safe and efficacious. Um, so that was the underlying hypothesis for um, this uh, work. We also, in an early uh, paper, found that the sleepiness that is reported, and this is not just noted by our group, but by other groups have reported it, is Blacks have more sleepiness in sleep apnea compared to uh, whites. And there is some, um, you know, evidence to suggest that sleepiness may be a symptomatic marker that are prone to hypertension or may benefit from PAP treatment when it comes to blood pressure. Um, so we wanted to look at the interaction of sleepiness also. In other words, sleepiness as a moderator of this uh, treatment response of blood pressure. So that was the premise of the study, is to examine and get pathogenic 
pathogenesis insights or also provide evidence for an intervention that is um, relatively safe and um, easy to implement. So um, coming to the recent uh, events, uh, COVID-19 pandemic, um, it was uh, causing a lot of challenges across the medical field and across the board when it comes to healthcare as such. Telemedicine was hugely popular in the sleep field even before the pandemic, but it more so came into the picture now. Uh, How can we leverage telemedicine in the sleep world? And do you think that we should push for it to uh, be, be one of the mainstream fields to use telemedicine down the road too? So I think, you know, there are two um, things to note about uh, the sleep world. We are a high volume practice in most instances. That is, there there are a lot of patients, right, with sleep apnea as well as insomnia. What we do know from the evidence is that PAP monitoring, PAP treatment monitoring, it can be done fairly successfully with telemedicine. Second, cognitive behavioral treatment for insomnia can be delivered very successfully through telemedicine. Um, And it is, you know, when thinking about no treatment, these are um, excellent strategies. So I think these are, you know, high throughput um, strategies that could really benefit sleep practices, most of all our patients. Um, I do think that, you know, uh, the application of telemedicine in sleep practices needs to consider, we don't have enough evidence um, on the use of telemedicine, either for initial consultation or for follow-up in those patients that have sleep disorders and significant cardiopulmonary or neuropsychiatric comorbidity. In these patients, I think the effectiveness of healthcare or sleep healthcare delivered via telemedicine needs to be studied before we implement these across the board. We we worked on a project studying the influence of sleep apnea as a comorbidity, in, uh, which was a pre-existing comorbidity in patients during COVID-19. And a lot of data reports came in. And some of the early reports, we were all relying on the inpatient data variables that were entered into the electronic medical records as uh, accurate as that is. And uh, because of this, there was some conflicting data because when they ran the models, once they put in the other variables, especially obesity, it would cancel out the influence of OSA. However, the the most recent study by Dr. Mara and colleagues from Cleveland Clinic, they explored some underlying factors and tried to explore more and stratify OSA patients instead of taking them as a whole and uh, saw that higher levels of hypoxemia uh, were noted to have poorer outcomes. And of course, a lack of PAP adherence and usage data among the groups was uh, some of the challenges that a lot of these studies had. Um, So what are your thoughts on OSA and uh, the COVID-19 pandemic where inpatient population was observed? Right. right. So good question, Sashisha. Since you led the project, you know that we use the VA registry and we looked at data from a single center, the Jesse Brown VA uh, Medical Center, VA Medical Center in Chicago. And what we found was from the registry that a diagnosis of OSA, and these are ICD-9-10 based um, cases, um, that was associated with an increase in the rate of high flow use. It increased high flow oxygen use by 50%. It prolonged hospitalization by 20% and it increased readmission rates, almost double readmission rates. And these increases or changes were observed independent of age, obesity, and comorbidity. 
Um, what, as you mentioned, you know, I think uh, we were also um, lacking in PAP treatment data. So that's, you know, although you presented this at the um, conferences, um, what we now want to examine is the impact of vaccination. So we do have COVID vaccination data. And, you know, the hypothesis here would be that OSA does have some inflammatory or immune modulating effects due to chronic intermittent hypoxia. And so the effectiveness of COVID vaccine, it does that actually modify these associations that we are observing with the diagnosis of OSA and hospitalization outcomes. That is um, something we wanna look at. And second, you know, although detailed PAP adherence in registry type data is uh, very difficult to access um, because these are thousands of patients that would need chart review. Um, but what the VA system does allow us to do is to look at the dispensing of PAP equipment. And so there are ways to um, measure that through the database and link it and use that as a surrogate for PAP use, not exactly adherence, but yes or no PAP use. And, and that might help us, you know, dissect out some of the other modifying factors that would, could very well be important in the association between sleep apnea and adverse health outcomes after hospitalization for COVID infection related respiratory. Thank you so much, Dr. Prasad. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the time. It was Good nice talking to you. Take care.